I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for Stage 10 of the Tour de France, the first stage after the first rest day yesterday. And wow, it is super hot in Europe at the moment, particularly in the middle of France and where we are. So yeah, we're we're feeling it with the riders as well. If they'd done the Pyrenees sort of early this week, it would have been at scorching temperatures, but it's like 38 degrees for this stage from Vulcania, which is a volcan- volcanic region near Clermont-Ferrand, to Issoire, what looks like a medium mountain, you know, Patrick Conrad breakaway, Marquisi <laughs> breakaway of, of years past, a Molleman breakaway type stage, 168Ks, just turned into an absolute slugfest we've got cat threes and sort of seven eight k's five percent six k's six percent five k's five percent seven k's six percent is the last major climb about uh, 28 kilometers from the finish and over 3,000 meters dead of l meters but i thought this was nailed on break benji but to the point where we could see the break form yeah and then go and have a siesta we weren't afforded that privilege today yeah, no siesta for us. We had action from start to about 75% into the race. And then the final also had some sparking action left and right as well. So it was a good stage from the start. Like the first hour, I'll be honest already, was the best part of the race for me personally. The breakaway formation phase, I love seeing it usually because of the tactics involved. Now it was crazy. It was just chaos everywhere. Many attacks, including Wout multiple times. Matthias Kjellmoza trying desperately to get in the breakaway. Julian Alaphilippe, so many riders trying, and then a seven-man group formed. Kwiatkowski, Perenials Cavagna, Ione Zagire, we've got Matteo Jorgensen, Nylans, Strong, and Charmik. Once again, the attacking Israel team, which I absolutely love this Tour de France, and then the Giro. But the action came when the second group started forming, because Jonas Vingegaard starts to slip into G2, a group behind the first group. Mike then decides to bridge Pogacar to that group. Yates and Bardet are there. What were you thinking? Well, yeah, it, the, unfortunately, the producers were none the wiser. They literally had no idea this was going on, so we didn't see a lot of this on TV at all from the helicopter because uh, I saw Vingegaard slipping, and I, my immediate reaction was, a gatch is attacked yeah. because that's normally what happened in the second and third week of the Tour de France last year, but this year, or today, it was the opposite. Vingegaard trying to slip in Hindley style, he only had Coos in that move with him, it's not like he had Van Aert up the road, so it was never really going anywhere um, yeah. for either of them. Like, I, I don't know. I think he was. I don't really know what he was trying to do apart from just see what happened. Maybe he was trying to be a patron and shut down the <laughs> the counter move. I don't think so. The new Danish patron, but yeah. I agree with that. I didn't seem fully realistic that that group would make it. Although the gap at a certain point was forty seconds. The thing is, though, Hindley slipped in being a Bora rider. That looks a lot like the other Bora riders in Bora kit. This guy's wearing the yellow jersey and tried to slip in. Yeah. So exactly hiding very well. <laughs> he's like that meme with the, with the dude standing behind a, a tree, but he's like twice the size of the tree. That's what it looked like. <laughs> Vingo in the breakaway. But it was fun to see. And it was curious to me that 
UAE had the upper hand when it comes to the amount of riders in the group, two riders while Vingegaard had Kuz there, if I recall correctly, and UAE seemed to try to keep that going even when part of that group it. started attacking. I didn't, and this is where it got really confusing to me, because as you said, this group got 40 seconds behind, I can't remember who was in the break, Benji, like Nalens, remember that? Yeah. Chris Nalens, solo initiated being in this move ahead. And it wasn't the first or the second or the last. So yeah. Chris Nalens is ahead already and it's full kicking off behind and he's riding full in a group ahead. The gap went to 40 seconds for the Peloton though, Benji, not because of Vingegaard or Kus, UAE's pacing. And it didn't make sense to me because Vingegaard, okay, he's got Kus in the group. He's got teammates behind. Yumbo weren't chasing behind. It was basically Micah riding against Bora because, <laughs> because Yates, as you mentioned, Simone Felipe, is in the group just behind Henley uh, on GC. So it's UAE riding with Vingegaard in the wheel, just the same as Pogaccio, to keep Bora and Ineos behind. So it didn't really, and always, Bora, Bora and Ineos are going to chase you for the rest of this stage if you have Yates and Bardet with you. And so then the Pog attacked to the break, Benji, the, the, the group ahead. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And then I realized, actually, maybe, maybe he was trying to gap Simon Yates to stop Bora and Ineos chasing because the top two are so far ahead of the others that if they just do their own thing ahead, Bora and Ineos won't chase. So maybe that's why he did it. But yeah, frenetic start, I don't... I think it was kind of everyone just seeing... I don't know, it was a bit of a pissing contest, actually. Like, no, we can, <laughs> we can put pressure on you. No, we, like, it was crazy. Yeah. And, then, and then that brought the break back before the second climb. Or well, then Wout Van Aert did a huge nuclear bridge when that eventually was brought back. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Like you said, that, that group that tried getting away from Pogacar and Vingegaard, even with Pogacar and Vingegaard being behind, with the GC riders being behind, that GC rider group got called by the peloton again, but also the break that was ahead, like you mentioned. So we just were back into square one. Mankies, who was trying to get in the breakaway to slip into top 10, back in the peloton. Everybody back in the peloton. And it kind of was that for half an hour from that point with people attacking left and right, trying to do stuff again. Wout van Aert, like you said, tried to bridge to a breakaway at a certain point. And it, it was just chaos all over the road. But eventually, we saw behind the peloton some stuff because while all this shit was happening, a lot of riders were in trouble. Obviously, Jakobsen dropped one of the first riders in because he's a flat sprinter. So he obviously has some trouble with these brutal starting moments in these breakaway stages. But... Also, a group with Wout Fanat who had been trying to get in the break six times before, two minutes behind in a certain point with none other than Roman Bardet, who was also in the breakaway earlier, and David Godu with Madua, who was called back from the front of the race all the way to the back of the race to help out Godu. What was Damar thinking? I mean, yeah, Arno Damar with a wry smile on his face. I mean, maybe he's just gone, I hope he's gone on holiday and he's not even watching this because, yeah, they're at two minutes, Bardet and Godu, and... FDJ have set up a, a seven-man train with poor old Chef and Kung, who hasn't gotten a break, I don't think, so far this Tour de France, to basically chase uh, and bring it back. And, you know, listen, you have to keep chasing, and, and you know, if you want Guru to top 10, it's the right thing to do, because yeah. once the break forms, eventually it will calm down. But, yeah, like, just absolute chaos. And it, it meant that the break didn't go properly till... Really, the third climb, 66 k's into the stage, maybe yep. even longer, really, because at a certain point now, if I can remember correctly, Benji, there was uh, Chavez, uh, if I've missed anything, 
let me know. Yep. But there was Chavez, Asgren, Bilbao, Schelmoser, Zimmerman, Schultz, Bargiel. So, of course, we've missed some attacks. You know, we can't say every attack, but that's group <laughs> one. 20 seconds behind, just before the category two climb, which is 6K, 6%. Not something to be trifled with, particularly when, you know, Asgren against Chavez, Bilbao, Schelmoser, like... They can drop him on that if they wanted to. 20 seconds behind that group is Kwiatkowski, who wants a stage win. Alaphilippe, the teammate of Asgren. O'Connor, wanting maybe GC time plus a stage. Perez, Pedrero, Nalens, the teammate of Schultz and Tejada. So you look at Alaphilippe there behind Benji, Asgren ahead. To me, it's clear that neither should pull. No. Maybe if one is to pull, it's Alaphilippe to come back. But Asgren in a group of climbers, Chavito, as I said, should not pull that break and should sit on so that Alaphilippe can come back easier. And he was pulling and got dropped when Bilbao went to the front and started driving it. Because the break, by the way, Yambo was setting a weird pace. I couldn't, like, were they doing the modern thing where you start riding immediately so you don't need to bring a gap down? Mate, what was this stage, man? Like, it's so much weird the, stuff. Half of the things we mentioned so far were like, what the fuck happened there? <laughs> yeah. Now, this breakaway group actually got the gap to be called the breakaway group. Unlike the breakaway groups before, this was one that would sustain for quite a long time, maybe even until the finish. And like you say, they were part of two groups and it took a while for those groups to come together. But eventually, Alaphilippe and Osgrain did find their friendship and did find their, uh, their presence together in a larger group of 14 riders, if I recall correctly. Maybe one of them had been dropped at that point, but a minute 40... Plus to the peloton, went to 2 minutes 30, went to, I think, to 45, 3 minutes at a certain point. And like you say, the Yumbo Visma control, not actually sure where that came from. That being said, when it comes to uh, Alperson taking over, that was intriguing because that was at a moment where the group with Godou and so forth had come back. They had rejoined the peloton, but also the likes of Philipson is back. So Philipson's back and thinks, okay, there's like two climbs left in this race. Maybe I've got a chance of winning this. Who knows? So. Alperson goes to the front and decides, let's try some stuff ourselves and see if we can take the stage. But the gap went from four minutes to 2.45 until, uh, yeah, they tried something different, huh? <laughs> Dude, it was just, I just don't understand what was going on in this stage. And listen, it's fucking hot. Like, I, I really yeah. want people to understand how hot this was. And, you know, commentary was saying, guys are having three bid-ons an hour. The DSs, by the way, they're cooking too. I mean, they got nice cars, Skodas, BMWs, whatever, but they're cooking in the heat too, and radios might not be working, they can't see, you know, sometimes the directors don't have tele um, mobile coverage for periods of half an hour, but yeah, I don't know, Benji. I mean, I thought, sorry, did you say the group came back together? I'm also frightened. Yeah. <laughs> the group comes back together, but a quick step of, yeah, it's a bit of a disaster class for a moment where it looked like it looked like neither Asgren nor Alaphilippe would get in the break when he got dropped by the pure climbers on that climb. They're lucky he came back, but how much energy was it? I thought, now, the situation is, does Bilbao want the stage or the GC? Or does he want a Hindley and to have both? Or a Ben O'Connor and to have both? And, in fact, uh, Jens Voigt, he, I think, was speaking to Roman Kreuziger, and Kreuziger said, um, yeah, I actually don't know the answer to your question, Jens. Either or would be good. So 
I don't really know what his plan was. O'Connor's on 14 minutes. I think he just wanted the stage. And Israel, obviously, they had a really good card to play uh, with both um, with both Nalens and Schultz. So, yeah, I it was a good group, Benji, and actually a really strong one. And who did you think would... Whose job was it to control this break? Because that, that swung multiple times during this stage. And actually, the peloton itself didn't know whose responsibility it was. Whose job was it, in your mind, if you're a DS of X? From the peloton? Yeah, whose job is it to control Bilbao? Or the, if, if, does he need controlling at all? Well, the people that are personally in danger and feel like they're endangered by Bilbao and GC are the ones that are going to start facing. But outside of that, Alpsen tried for the stage win for a tiny bit. But outside of that, no one has really a necessity. It's not like Yumbo needs to control Bilbao, who's like 17 decades back in GC, like seven minutes and so forth. So it's not necessarily on them either. So I didn't see the value of Yumbo controlling too much, but I'm also understanding that they don't want to give him 70 minutes either. But it was very early that they started controlling. And then I understood when, I think, was it, was it DSM that started pacing at a certain point? Like, those I understood. Ineos, I, I somewhat understand if their GC positions is, is being threatened and so forth. They probably feel bad that they've only got Kwiatkowski in the break and maybe not more chances for the stage when it, like three riders or two riders in the break. But anyway, like, we get to the point where... But, but, but every... Sorry, to, to yeah. round that point off, Cummings was on the race radio. This is the first bit of like, one of the most interesting things. I'm not sure if you yeah. saw it. And he said to the guys, we don't need to pull. Bora need to pull. And I was thinking, why, the f why would Bora need to pull? Because Pidcock and Rodriguez are above him yeah. on GC and Bilbao's on seven and a half minutes. He's closer to seventh and fourth on GC. So Bora never going to pull. Exactly. So that, that, that statement made no sense to me. 100%. That's for certain. But like, we then saw a situation. We're in, that, we're in the descent basically now. Eh? We're, we're in the descent towards the last climb. And we see that Alpacin and, and Yumbo are starting to realize. Yumbo probably realizes we don't actually need to hard control this stage anymore. They pegged the it at 350. Yeah, exactly. And then Alpacin realizes, well, I can't close this shit down. We, we got it down to 245 afterwards, Alpacin. And then they realize, okay, this gap is unbearable for us to cross. So Wout and Vanderpool go on a bit of an adventure. And <laughs> Dude. your face, and, and man. And Durbridge had been pulling for Simon Yates GC, for Jayco, yeah. which, you know, was fine because, you know, they, were like, they wanted it under three minutes. They didn't want Bill Bao uh, leapfrogging Simon Felipe. <laughs> um, and, yeah, but Vanderpool did this on the breakaway stage the other day, Benji. When was he in the break when he had no chance? In the uh, Pyrenees. He was in the break. Tourmalet. Yeah. Tourmalet, Tourmalet, I think. He was in the break. And, and off the descent of Col d'Aspin, he just whacked it. And that, I, that, that made I, more sense to get ahead. Of course, he should never yeah. have been in the break in the first place, but that made more sense. Here, it's like, why were you pulling? You guys, they took a lot into the, out of the gap, Benji. Alperson, they took yeah. a minute out of the gap well, with the help of Durbridge. And then over the descent, he attacks. Now, the only explanation is they got to the top of the final climb, or that climb, no, it's not the final climb, that, that second last climb. Philipson said, I don't have it. And to be honest, yeah. I, I, didn't, I was very surprised they were pacing in the first place because I never thought he would make it because it's been such yeah. a hard day. You could say, oh, it's 6K, 6% he could make it. No, 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 that's ignoring the context of the stage, the heat. He's never making it, I don't think. Maybe he, but anyway, so maybe Philipson said, I don't have it, just fuck around on the front. Um, Wout's in his wheel. 
because Yumbo were just behind being safe and Vanderpool was pacing. And then, wow, relays with him. I was like, what? Mate. He tried to get in the break with a bridge, dropped himself at the start, and this would have been a big stage he targeted, and then came back with the Guru group that got dropped, then was pacing on the front like, like Nath and Van Hooydonk would behind a break to keep the gap stable, and then is relaying with Vanderpool 20 seconds ahead of the peloton and two and a half minutes behind the, the breakaway, which has better climbers than both of them. <laughs> like, much better. Like, we have to talk about the rumor here for a second. Yeah, this morning oh, on yeah. Danish TV, Skjelmolsen mentioned that there's a rumor going on in the peloton. Well, we knew what rumors in the peloton do. For example, in the Giro, we had a rumor that Primoz had COVID, for example. But this is also a rumor right now, not that White has COVID, but that he's going home tomorrow. That's the rumor in the peloton. That he's going home tomorrow. We heard before the Twitter fronts that he might go home at some point because of his, uh, his wife or girlfriend having a kiddo. And, well, that's rumor that's ongoing. But re regardless of that rumor, he's riding like someone who doesn't need to race anymore tomorrow. He's having a weird Tour de France. I think not winning yet is getting to him. I, like, I don't know. Like, the way he raced looks a lot like someone who will exit the race tonight. Like, the, the rumor might be bullshit, but it looks like that. It, I agree. Him and Van der Poel was like, what are you doing? Um... <laughs> And when Van Hooydonk was pacing, so to take it back, when, when the break had formed, formed, and Jumbo went to control and Van Hooydonk started pacing, I thought, are Jumbo now going to pace for the stage win for Van Aert yeah. in a reduced group sprint? Uh -huh. I thought, is that... And, and then that obviously wasn't the case when... He, and that was what was weird, because that would make sense. And then him pulling the flat like that, I was like, damn, mate, that's very... You've never seen, I've never seen that before. Wavanagh being a domestic, getting in a breakaway to be a satellite rider. We've seen that before. Wavanagh uh, pulling the flat when someone's been dropped. We've seen that before. But pulling behind a breakaway, that's, we've not seen him in that role before. So that's, that's unusual. I think the only rationale is he kept pulling on this because he is a much better climber than Vanderpool. And he wanted to get over this last 6K, 6% climb ahead of or give himself a chance to be in the final with the Yumbo Visma group to keep you on a safe, whatever, and that he'd have a better chance than if, because if UAE or someone drive it, he'll get dropped. Vanderpool Benji literally got a cane to the climb and stopped. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that was the wiser decision than Wout just staying there for another, was it five to 10 minutes in my no, opinion? No, 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 because then he was there for Jonas in the final, if that made any difference. Yeah, but he might still have been there regardless because it's not like the peloton was storming. I don't over think, he had, I think he had bad legs. Really? Okay. But well, after after what happened earlier on the stage, very possible. Eh? But regardless of what's happening here, the peloton's not gonna make it. It's starting no. to become clear the peloton's not making it, and we see the front group. And when we go back to the front group, like yeah, there's been some moves, some skirmishes. We had Alaphilippe do something, a little climb there, and he didn't drop afterwards, so that was a good sign. Yeah. But, Chavez. Yeah, exactly. Chavez went for a, a, a an attempt for a 58 kilometer solo, which ended up working. But 85, okay. I thought At it was 58. 85 case to go. Chavez attacked on a climb <laughs> behind it with a group behind. I was like, bro, you're a 57 kilo Colombian sits upright on the bike. You're not going to ride 85 k solo Mate, in medium mountain terrain. You got to understand it, my friend. Vader said that every single F rider is trying to hunt for KOM points. And he was. Now, I was like, it's like one point. No, and no. it's not him leading it. It's powerless. Uh, yeah, that's what they said. Uh, he said that 
they don't like having multiple leader strategies only for KOM now, basically. That doesn't make any sense. It's not a cumulative award. It's not a team award. And they've got one rider, I think, in the top 15 places in KOM. And who was, who was in... What, Gaul wasn't in the break. No, nah, Gaul wasn't in the break. Anyway, regardless of what's happening there, we get to the point where action might actually start happening in the peloton, which is the, the last climb where... Um, in the breakaway, sorry. That was the last climb. And we see the Aussie Schultz. man. Nick Schultz coming to the fore, bamming on his wheels, and that's a weird sentence. But he smashed it. He let out Chris Nylons, and even when he was doing the lead out, people were suffering in that group. Yeah. Kriot had trouble. Ala Philippe had trouble and jumped back to the wheel at the end Still of the group. But the... then the man launched it. This was a huge lead out from Nick Schultz, who got picked up. He was supposed to go to BNB last year. He got he lost the photo to Mejev. I gotta do my full spiel for my Aussie. From Brisbane. He lost the photo finish to Mejev to Magnus Court, and then, yeah, couldn't struggle to get a contract really late last year because of the BNB collapse, and Israel gave him a contract. And he's extended with them too after, I think, top 10 in Andalusia. He's got a good sprint on him. Now, this guy's been good in some of the MISC uh, Spanish sort of 1-1s, the Healy ones. This is really good terrain for him, and he's good in hot conditions. Nalens has attacked before this point. By the way, he's already done a Fuga de la Fuga. And they've caught him before this point. Hey. Like, Nalens has already attacked, and he was initiating break formation at the start. He was, like, the strongest person in the entirety of break formation, and they're doing a full lead-out launching him. And I thought, wouldn't it be better? It, it, this is full hindsight talking. <laughs> when Nalens attacked off Schultz pacing and dropped Bill Bow, I said, he's going to win this stage by a minute. So that's what I said in real time. So now I'm going to go to my hindsight podcast self. <laughs> in hindsight... With the 26Ks to the finish, which were a lot grippier, more flat than I really understood, they probably could have kept two in a group of six, Benji, if they played it a little bit differently. And Schultz has got a decent old sprint on him too. And, but instead they played the Nealon's Long Ranger card. That's just what they could have done differently. He also could have won. Because today, Group 2 Syndrome didn't exist, which was actually amazing. Yeah, that's true, and it's odd, because initially I thought uh, Group 2 Syndrome is going to start too. existing again, and Nylon takes it that way, but uh, I think the hindsight take is also taking in mind that the Group 2 Syndrome didn't happen today, because this one was one of the most cooperative second groups in, in races I've seen, with Crazy. the likes of Bilbao, with the likes of Zimmerman. Alaphilippe was not in that group, Scalmos no. and either they were in Group 3, for example. Who were working was well, roughly, too. Uh, five riders? Is Aguirre there as well? Yeah, they were back. And, and so O'Connor, yeah, O'Connor, Pedrero, Zimmerman, yeah. Bilbao, and Chavez. And so Pedrero, Chavez, not winning a sprint ever. And so it was curious that, yeah, no one skipped turns because normally someone will start skipping and say, listen, I need to conserve because when we catch this guy, I need to counter, I need energy to counterattack because I can't Zimmerman won that Dauphiné sprint against Bergado bike links and bike links Bill Bowers won reduced group sprints many many times at, in world tour races Yeah, he's very fast so the majority of that group could not go to a sprint because there were two guys Zimmerman and Bill Bow who were going to win the sprint so th th yeah they were so cooperative and Nalens is hanging out there also counting against him the descent wasn't that technical and it was really a pedaling descent. 
And so you got O'Connor. O'Connor's a good descender. Him and Bilbao just sending this descent, pedaling, getting super aero. The group has a huge advantage, and they claw it back. And you can just see the seconds go from... It was 40 at one point, and it goes down by a second, just like drip-feeding... What's the thing when you turn a sand thing and it counts time? Like when just the you drops... You turn the sand thing and it counts the, time. What the, the sand fuck are drops, you talking about? Drops. And then it like, yeah, the sand gradually drops. That was the seconds coming down for Nalens. And eventually gets caught, Benji, with only like three and a half, four Ks to go. And at, at this point, I thought group Alaphilippe with Kwiatkowski, which was on 22 seconds, they might come back. Because everyone would stop working. What did an you hourglass. think? An hourglass. An hourglass, an hourglass, an hourglass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, YouTube sorry, comments what? give you that one. <laughs> no, I Googled it. <laughs> Off my description, wow. Yeah. That's incredible that you got it from my description. Well, yeah, I thought, I actually thought Kwiatkowski and Alaphilippe had a real chance to win this. I think counting against them was the fact that they caught Nalens so late that immediately when they caught Nalens, O'Connor throws in a big dig. And then this is the curious thing, Benji. Zimmerman throws in a big dig. Didn't trust his sprint. Yep, that is correct. Zimmerman goes in with that move after O'Connor got caught. Got caught. And to be honest, like it was a good moment to make that move. Bilbao had already responded to O'Connor, so maybe 50% of the chance he will not respond to the next attack. Yeah. So I understand that Zimmerman makes that move. And it was a strong attack as well because... When, when he did that, O'Connor didn't respond because he was done and the other people weren't really to the wheel of, of Bilbao yet either. So he just had to count on Bilbao not closing down Zimmerman. But in reality, well, Bilbao decided to, to close down Zimmerman. And he gets to the wheel and all the rest is gone temporarily. There's a gap of like 50 meters and I'm like, Bilbao has this. Because like, he's controlling every single attack so far. He's doing what a lot of guys actually wouldn't dare to do take so much on his plate in the final. So he must have either felt very strong or he must have known his sprint is so much better that even if he's tired, he still beats the rest. Uh, he was super strong because when Zimmerman attacked, he had momentum advantage on Bilbao. And I thought Zimmerman's gone. He's like 68, 70 kilos, strong attack, got the timing pretty right. And Bilbao closed to the wheel pretty quickly. And like the gap, exploded to the group behind us. So I was like, wow, Bilbao must be feeling a million bucks. Yeah. And even he didn't even care about Lid doing the lead out because Zimmerman went to his wheel and Bilbao was just like, I'm just not going to pull. I don't care if O'Connor <laughs> comes back. I don't care if Pedrero come back. So he played it really cool. Eventually Zimmerman goes to the front. O'Connor does come back, but he's too late for him to sprint. Zimmerman starts sprinting from like 30 kph in the 53.11. He like is doing torque intervals and Bilbao just immediately gaps him because he's in the right gear or in a better gear and had better legs. And Bilbao wins the sprint easily, which is just fantastic for him, for Bahrain. Uh, after what happened with Gino Maida in the Tour de Suisse, Bilbao has been raising funds, I believe, to buy land to plant trees. Yeah. Um, you'll be able to see it on his Instagram. I'm sure he'll post about it in his victory uh, post tonight, or it's already on his Instagram if you want to check that out. Um, so, yeah, huge for Bilbao. And the team, and he deserved it. And not just winning the stage, Benji, ahead of Zimmerman, O'Connor, Nalens, who, yeah, incredibly strong. Like, Nalens still won, was good in the sprint. Chavez, Pedrero. Bilbao moves into fifth on GC on 4.34, ahead of Adam Yates, Simon Yates, Tom Pidcock, Gudu, GC, Kusin, Bardet. 
Yeah, so that is true. Five. That's a big move. It's a big move. It's what Mankeys was trying into the top 10 and fell that. So we kind of expected someone to try and slip in this breakaway to try and do this. But Bilbao being the one jumping to fifth is a pretty major step. And like we knew that Landa was already relatively not very close in GC. But this confirms to me that Landa should now be a super domestique for, for Bilbao. I would have never expected to see that in a race, and I'm not sure Lando will ever do it regardless of Bilbao being in fifth position, but he should. Um, I think Bilbao just does his own thing, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're both Basque, but are they mates? I don't know. Lando um, should go in the breakaway in the same way and try the same should, thing, yeah. and they'll be in fifth and sixth in the GC. And so, yeah, you can see now why, why Jacob were pacing back in the GC group. Nothing happened on the climb, really. Ineos pace defensively on the climb, the last climb to try and limit the damage to Bilbao for Pitcock's GC. Um, and then they also, Yumbo did the descent and then Ineos took over in the last section and, and paced the group in. And then there was a sprint as well for, where was it on the stage? There was a sprint for 11th. I didn't even see it. <laughs> yeah. Someone won. Aaron Baru <laughs> against Johannesson against Sturvin. Court was like leaning on Vingegaard. Trying to, it's like, bro, you should be in the break today. Um, <laughs> and got rolled. So we, yeah, no, eventually nothing happened on GC in the GC group. Just Bilbao leapfrogging. Um, so yeah, big win for him and Bahrain. Uh, the revised, I've already said the revised GC. So yeah, anything else from this stage, Benji? Other than, I think this is going to happen again on stage twelve. I think Yumbo and UAE. It's like two drunk guys fighting each other outside of a bar, most of the swings are missing. And if someone says to you, who's winning this fight? You're like, neither. I don't know. <laughs> like, they're just taking pieces out of each other in 40 degree heat. It's great for it was the first 90 minutes of this stage. Unbelievably yeah. good. Really recommend people go and watch it. Fully agree. The thing about the stage as well is that, that I'm wondering how much the, the exhaustion in this heat will influence the coming stage. Some riders will actually be like, completely porched tomorrow they've got the benefit of a parkour that isn't the the most uh energy hungry if that's a word so that's one benefit and it's also like does this hit the sprinter teams a lot because let's just talk about it for a second here we've got stage 12 from rouen to belleville en beaujolais that was amazing french and you know it it's in total a, a 169 kilometers stage no i'm looking at the wrong stage fuck I'm looking at stage 11. I'll let you do it. Sorry, I'm torched. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so stage 11 tomorrow from... they still in Clermont-Ferrand. How much money did this town pay? <laughs> they got like four stages. It's 40 degrees in the middle of, middle of France. All righty. Clermont-Ferrand to Moulin, 180 Ks. It's flat for the first 27. And then we have rolling medium mountains again in, for the next 50 or oh, 40 Ks rather got two cat fours we'll see palace and ef going for them the one pointers um it is not as hard as today at all like it really does get easier and there's no categorized climb in the last 60 kilometers so i i think this is actually i mean vanderpool should get in the break on this one this is <laughs> like and van do you think Alpson can control all day for Philipson to win? Do you think Jayco and... Because uh, the thing is, can the sprint, quote, the real sprinters teams like Jayco with Groenewegen, mm -hmm. like, I don't know, Bauhaus and Bahrain, can they stop a break of 15 rulers 
going clear because if they go, you're not bringing them back. And I, I struggle to see how they'll control that at the start. And if Pedersen was jumping on the Limoges stage, aren't Trek also going to try jump in tomorrow and try to get Sturvin and Pedersen in a break and take their chances? It's possible, but I feel like we've sometimes overrated the uh, inability of teams to chase the breakaway as well. And then you show up on a stage where suddenly there's only three breakaway riders and we're like, how did that happen? So yeah. regardless, I'm going to go for a sprint. I'm going to go for Philipsen okay. for this stage. But I will say that Grunewagen has been climbing very well. The fact that Grunewagen's team was pacing today says a lot that he's not incompetent when it comes to getting over hills as well. So I think on this stage, he's probably going to get over them as well. I agree that it's a possibility that today's... the sprinter domestics are completely spent because i i haven't ridden in 42 degrees or whatever it is so i can't tell you how how terrible their form is now and they made the time cut so groenewegen and jakobsen ewan who got dropped very early in the stage didn't slow down for a long time Wait, they all made the time cut where did, for who did they pace then was it who? for yates that who? durbridge was pacing yeah for yes gc oh okay that explains yeah and he's still, well, still finished ahead of him but yes will take yeah. time it's like Anyway, uh, why I don't have too much of a problem with it. Um, nah. If any else really cared about Bilbao, they probably should have paced the climb harder. But because um, he took a fair bit of time on Pitcock, but probably you're right. Philipson will make the finish tomorrow. The question is whether the breakaway can be managed. I'll be curious yeah. to see uh, whether what Yumbo Visma will do. I'd love to see Christoph Laporte freed. I feel like Laporte is Laporte might even have better shape than Van Aert. I thought when I was pulling initially, I was like, maybe they go for Laporte. Because Laporte made that group two of 40 riders when Van Aert was dropped. Now, obviously, Van Aert tried to get in the break, but I would love to see Laporte get a chance in the breakaway tomorrow. Um, but I'm going with Moss Pedersen from the break. Moss Pedersen, you say? Is that I like think a plan? he says he hates the heat, but he's won loads of stages in really yeah. hot conditions. I think he's good in the extreme conditions that hurt other yeah. riders more is my, is my theory, including the, the very hot temperatures. So I say he wins from the break. Solo, too. Yeah, yeah. By he, the way... He hits him on a little riser. Fun fact, purely randomly, before I say my pick, Fanart said that he felt, that he felt pretty homeless. Uh, ho homeless. Oh, hopeless. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he felt pretty Jeez. hopeless when he was dropped. It doesn't happen to him. Anyway, regardless of that, um, I want to talk about my stage winner for tomorrow, which is Philipson, which I already yeah. said, but I'm confirming him twice over because I'm doing a dub double triple down on the stage. Okay. Philipson's going to win the stage and no one is going to stop him. Van der Poel might stop him. I think actually Van der Poel might. I'm not even joking. Don't you think they're going to try to give Van der Poel like, you know, a chance? I don't know, man. Maybe the stage after again in the same way as today. Too hard for him, I think. So tomorrow's a good chance for Vanderpool from the breakaway. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I think it'll be a fierce fight at the start, and then it might settle down into a, into a rhythm, but we'll see. It's going to be hot conditions again, so hot that even I think YouTube cut out our stream. Uh, luckily, yeah. we, we record on the back end, the YouTube server suffering in the heat. But anyway, maybe, maybe a bit cooler tomorrow. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and we'll see you at the recap of Stage 11 tomorrow. Till then, ciao. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? 
Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.